Hello, Trailblazers fans, and welcome once again to one of the least moist Blazers podcasts out there, Dave and Marlo. We get out here and try hard to bring you all kinds of Trailblazers news and analysis. It is a packed week with uh, developments. Marlo, how are you feeling? It's like a blizzard out there. In fact, if you're in the southern part of the country, but even with Blazers news, oh my goodness, there's a lot of stuff going on this week. Lots of stuff going on, but one thing we can say, those Blazers are undefeated in the month of February. I know it just started, but undefeated. <laughs> Always a good place to start. Of course, they're going to pick the shortest month of the year, but... Yeah, that will be uh it'll be interesting to see how that goes. They get a big long break in the middle. We'll get to that, but one of those advantages of the big long break, news just came down before we started recording this. Uh Yusuf Nurkic's calf strain is serious enough to keep him out until after the NBA All-Star break. He tried to give it a go, played against Atlanta, came out against Memphis after just four minutes and uh, hasn't looked quite the same the last week or so. And now he's going to be out for seven or so games. What's your initial thoughts hearing that? It's been a really rough season for him. Uh, they had a couple of weeks ago, an article came out that said he was like throwing up at halftime. So he's been sick, dealing with the calf injury. Uh, just a, a really rough go. And you can sort of see it on the, on the, on the court. Uh, and the substitutions and, and the Blazers playing, you know, GU banks over him. So just hoping for the best with him. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to do a lot to change his his uh his trade value just based on the fact that teams know he's injured, so he can still be traded. But um, just as a person, you know, you're absolutely hoping that things are are, are better for him in the future, and and hoping that he's get, able to get that calf injury back to 100 percent normal. So now, yeah, a calf strain is one of the lesser injuries that you can list, and I think they're careful to describe it as that. It it that's one thing that's like okay, it's a calf strain, I get it, but we're talking you know, a week and a half. We're talking seven games missed with that. That's a heck of a strain. Uh, Part of it, of course, though, is the layoff. They get a long layoff both during the All-Star break and after. They don't come back actually till Thursday after that All-Star break. So they'll all get nine days. Nurk gets that nine days and six more games besides. So, I mean... I'm I'm on the fence about this. I mean, not about his injury. Obviously, he has it, and you, you wish the best to him. But, like, what really is this? Is this being undersold? Uh, is this being overcompensated for? Or how does a calf strain equate to that much time off? I don't know. Yeah, and they said he was in a walking boot. So I don't know many calf strains that require a walking boot. I never had a calf strain, but it seems kind of serious. It seems like it's a little bit more serious than they put on. Uh, but one thing that I think about, just in terms of the trades and whatnot, depending on what the Blazers do, having that nine days to be acclimated and, and get comfortable with one another is going to be really key. So any 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 way you slice it, I think it's a win-win for the Blazers, uh, especially if they can just come out of this healthy and, and ready to go for that second half. So you said you don't think that this injury would impede uh, a trade or inhibit his trade value in any way? I wouldn't say so because teams have kind of seen what it looks like when he's healthy um, and they know that he's hurt. It'd be one thing if teams didn't know that he was hurt. Uh, but, you know, it's 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 within play if they know that he's injured and they're, they're monitoring that. So um, I, I think if a team's looking for a protector, I'm not sure Nurkic is a guy that you, you, you want to try to go get, you know, for a lot of different teams, just the way that he plays. But they're always suitors. If somebody's going to be able to find value on what he brings. And, and if they do, they know what he can do. He's a 15, 10, and, and 4 guy consistently, perennially. So 
that talent been growing trees. So there's going to be somebody that I think that calls and sees him as a good fit. And if not, Portland, they've, they've shown it. They'll, they'll, they'll live with him. So it's a win-win. Yeah. Now, if you're looking at Nurkic's trade value, how much do you have to take into consideration injuries? I'm not talking about this injury. But look, it's been since 2018-19 since he's played more than 70 games. In fact, since he's played more than 60 so far, since they haven't gotten there. Uh, he played eight games in 2019-2020. Of course, none, uh, well, I mean, he got injured, sorry, the year before. Uh, so eight games in 2019, 2020. 2020, 2021, he played 37. He played 56 last year. And now he's at 45, which was pretty good. He had only missed six. But he's down now, and he's going to miss seven more. So that's 13 gone out of 82 already if nothing happens to him. He, it's been, it will have been five years since he played what you'd call a full season. Do you think other teams will look at that? I think so. A lot of milers on those legs, a lot of injuries that he's had, you know, from, from quad injuries to ankle injuries and whatnot. Those things kind of build up the order you get. Um, and they're just nearing 30. So I think every team that, that puts him in a, a trade situation, they're going to monitor that as well. Um, so I think it's just a smart thing to do. You know, if you're a, you're an owner, you don't want to be putting your, your team in a situation where you're, you're paying for a guy that can't play. Uh, but I, I think you just got to evaluate what's more important, the potential or the, the production. You know what I'm saying? I think he's a guy that when he's out there, you know what he can do on the low block and, and what he can do as a passer. So teams are going to have to evaluate that and, and try to come up with the best solution. But I think the Blazers should definitely be a team that's, you know, at least calling and seeing what they can get for him. I think that's just a smart thing to do. Yeah, he's 28 years old. He's under contract for the next four years, including this one. Uh, at this point, is it fair to call him, he's an average center, right? That's about what he is. I mean, there are a couple wrinkles. He can pass pretty well. He's developed his three-point shot. I mean, he's shooting 39% on a couple attempts per game this year, but that seems to be kind of like a little, that's the little decoration on top of the cake. That's not even the frosting for him. Uh is it fair to say that Nurkic is pretty much a, he's just an average center and you know what you're going to get, just kind of a B, B minus level guy? I think that's a fair assessment. Um, I'd even go as far as to say maybe a little bit slightly above average. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know what I'm saying? He's not a guy that, that's terrible at any one thing that you would expect the center to be, you know, when you're evaluating the center, but he's not great at any one thing either. So kind of got to put that into perspective, but. I give him credit. You know, he's a guy that you see him trying to continue to add things to his game. Uh, the three-point rate, he's up to 22% on the three-point rate, so he's trying to at least uh, diversify his game and to fit the more modern NBA style. So, you know, you give him credit for that. But I think if you're looking for him to be the all-star kind of guy, I think that was that ship has sailed you know, three or four years ago. But he can still be a guy that can get you very, very solid production at that center spot. So he's making $15.5 ish this year. That'll go to 16, 18, 19. Again, add the halves in there as you go along. So it'll be almost $20 million at the end of his contract. Now, in today's dollars, that's okay. But the NBA is expecting a huge increase in the salary cap. So actually, when you get there, that may actually look like a, a really reasonable salary, especially if he's still starting. So there are reasons to be attracted to Nurkic. I just wonder who's like going to go out of their way to trade for him. 
That's that's my question. You know, like who who's going to go? Okay, we've got to get this guy because this guy makes the difference to us. I'm 100 percent on board with you on that. I don't think there are a lot of teams that are going to be calling to try to get a, a low post oriented guy, especially one that's that's not as efficient as he should be in that area. And like I said, he's not really great at any one thing, so that's going to be tough. But I think, in all fairness to him, you look at the numbers. Um, based on all the centers around the league, he's the 15th highest paid. So that's exactly what you would kind of expect from an average center, the 15th highest paid guy out of 30, 30 centers in the league, uh, the 92nd highest paid player in the NBA. So uh, right around that top 100 kind of player. So I think if a team goes and gets him, they're going to understand he's not a guy that he's got he's, he's to be your third or fourth best player if you're going to really contend. Um, so with that in mind, I think that, you know, in fairness to him, I, I, he's, he's, he's doing the right things as far as putting himself out there for being available for teams and whatnot. I wonder if anyone would consider him or if he would consider platooning as a center. Look, is he going to come off the bench at this stage in his career? He'd probably itch about that, but you might be able to talk him into it. He's only playing 26 minutes a game. It's not like he's playing 38. So, like, you could have a starting center who's good and have Nurkic as incredible depth, especially if that center isn't huge, isn't a seven-footer then you have you have a consistent 48 minutes with the big guy. I could see that. I could see a team, half-court teams, you know, the Nets, uh, the Celtics, people like that who could use a little center depth and who don't run for their money. You know, maybe. Question is, could the Blazers get enough back to make that worth their while? I mean, I, I could probably put Nurkic in a place or two where he'd be okay, but what are they going to give up now to Portland to get the Blazers to trade away their starting center? I think that's well said. Um, and just being, keeping an open mind about it. You know, if you were an agent or if you were a, a player that was, was courting to try to bring him along, that might be something that you pitched to him. You know, at 28, you know, you've had a lot of injuries. Maybe something like this is what you use to kind of extend your career and keep your longevity going. So it's definitely something to consider. I've always viewed Nurkic as sort of a outspoken guy, a very, uh, not sure what the right word is, but he kind of he wears his emotions on his sleeves a little bit. So he'd be a guy that I would kind of worry about with that that kind of thing. But if he's playing 25, 30 minutes a night and he's doing what he's doing, um, I think those complaints would be, you know, at a, at a, at a minimum at that point. I mean, the Raptors, obviously, they might be able to use him because they have the defense to compensate for his lack of lateral mobility, too. Uh, the Knicks, that would be interesting, but probably toxic combination with Julius Randle, <laughs> I'm thinking. That, yeah. I, I'd pay money to see that, though. That would be that would be pretty funny. Uh, maybe there are a couple other places where he could be. But yeah, I mean, who has something that will light the Blazers up? That said, even a first-round pick, and look, it would have to be a low one. No one's giving a lottery pick for Nurkic. No one's giving a mid-range pick for Nurkic. No one's giving an unprotected future pick for Nurkic. But let's say a contender is going like, okay, we have this pick that's going to be in the 20s. We'd trade that for Nurk. That could free up trade possibilities for the Blazers because remember, one of the things that they lack is their first round picks to trade because of this bulls protected pick that they owe. That could be even a low first round pick could be outsized valuable for Portland because things like the Stepien rule uh, don't care whether the pick is low or high. It's just a first rounder, right? 
So there might be some wiggle room there, too, if Portland was willing to eat a loss and, you know, free up future trade possibilities. Definitely something to consider. I think you have to put everything on the board right now. Uh, Nurkic being, a, he's not, he's a, he's under contract until he's 32 years old. So a team that gets him, they're going to be able to use him for a long time. They they see so see fit. Um, what I've gathered, if the Blazers want to use that that pick they get to the Bulls, they make it unprotected. They can they can make a move. So I think you got to put everything on the uh, on the table right now and, and see what you can do. But uh, Nurkic is one of those guys that you got to keep an eye on at this point in the season. Is there any way you unprotect that pick right now to Chicago? Oh man, it's got to be something. It's, it's got to start with Pascal, and then we'll see. Yeah, I think it's yeah. got to be something like it's got to be. That's, that's exactly <laughs> be me. Yeah, like yeah. That. yeah. Well, well, let's do the other one. And we're we're skirting around. Uh, we've we've missed some major topics here. We promise we'll go back. But since we diverted into the trade thing, here's one of the big questions that I've heard from people outside of Portland: Would you throw Shaden Sharp into a deal for Pascal Siakam? Oh man, that's tough. That's the, I I. Just seeing the window, that window that the Blazers are in right now, and, and feeling like they're in sort of a win now mode with, with Damian Lillard's timeline, I think I might. I think I might. Uh, I've seen enough of Shaden Sharp to believe that he's gonna have star potential, but I think if you if you, you want to try to start with the Irons hot, the Western Conference, I don't think it's ever gonna be this uh, have this much parity, where it's this many variant teams that can go out and make a make a big run at it. So I think you put all the chips in the middle in that point and, and see what you can do with that. So. Yeah, if you show if you show the Blazers Pascal Siakam, they have to think, right? I mean, anybody not named Lillard is in that conversation. Uh, let's ask you this: Let's say in some fantasy world, it came down to either Simons or Sharp. One of them was necessary to get a Siakam deal done. Which one would you prefer the Blazers to lose? I'm gonna go. Uh... And this is tough. <laughs> this is really tough. That's some good questions. I would say at that point, I think I would probably go, I'd probably, I'd probably give them sharp. Um, actually, you know what? Let me take that back. I think I would go Simons. I think we've, we've seen some, we've seen some redundancy with the backcourts. We've kind of seen what the ceilings of that, ceiling of that might be. Um, you know, you want to keep as much size as you can and, and as much versatility as you can in that area. I don't think the Blazers would struggle that much offensively if they let, uh, Simons go, especially for bringing in Siakam. So. Uh, I think they'd be able to tread water in that area. So I think you go, I think you go with, uh, Harris to say, but you got to go with Simon's there. Yeah, I think I do too. Although I don't think that gets the deal done, but, uh, I agree with you because I think, you know, Sharp is bigger, springier. Uh, I, I love Simon's. And, you know, people do this all the time, right? They're like, what are you talking about? Why are you talking about trading Josh Hart? You hate Josh Hart. No, we love Josh Hart, right? <laughs> We absolutely, absolutely love Josh Hart. We were just telling you two months early that this was going to happen because of the way the contract's set up, right? I We have been bigger supporters of Anthony Simons than almost anybody outside the Blazers themselves. The, the whole world is crumbling around Ant as far as our forums and stuff like that. Like, uh, people are out with pitchforks and torches. Uh, thinking yeah. that you're going to save the town by, you know, running this guy <laughs> out of it. No, Anthony Simons is a good, good player. And Anthony Simons would be shining now under different circumstances, as we've said. So we love these guys. But you know what? If you if you tell me Pascal Siakam can come to town, I'm going to love Pascal Siakam, too. That's well said. I don't think there's anybody on this roster that we dislike. Um, and, and our 
you know, unfairly critical of. I think it's just being reasonable and understanding that players are better in different situations. And so for, we might see a different Anthony Simons in, in Toronto where he's able to be the, the lead guard, just have more freedom. I think it'd be a win-win for both teams if they're able to get the, the, the contracts right and the, the fit right and whatever. I, I, I'm on board with it. And I think it's, it's we, we support them in Toronto. We support them wherever they go. That's well said. He, the, uh, the Clippers would probably like Nurkic too. You know who else might? Stealth team. I bet the Bucks could make use of him. I'm not sure they have anything to give, but Milwaukee, they kind of have that pattern with Brooke Lopez. And it's yeah. like, I, I think they could slot Nurkic in there and go, you know what? We could use you. So I think there, there are really possibilities out there for Nurk. It's just, again, what could they trade? All right, let's go, uh, let's go out of trade talk for a second. Let's back up before we get to the big trade rumor. Let's stop with Damian Lillard makes his seventh all-star game. Did that surprise you at all? And uh, how do you feel about Dame going to Salt Lake? Did not surprise me 100%. Um, I thought there'd be a little bit of discussion there with the reserves, with, with Gilgis Alexander and those guys, but I thought that was a spot there for, for Lillard. And I liked what he said. He said he kind of expected it to be something that happened this year as opposed to in years past. Um, and, you know, you normally see players kind of up their games a little bit before the all-star uh, reserves get announced. We saw that here. Uh, but Lillard, he's done it seven times now, so he, he kind of knows the ins and outs of it. Well-deserved, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing him in the dunk. I mean, the, the three-point contest and the all-star weekends. So that's great. Great to see. And he'll be throwing lobs to Shaden Sharp, right? I heard about that too. <laughs> he'll be he'll be bouncing things off the backboard. Although that's not, I mean, Dame needs to tag out to Andre Miller. They need to go find Andre Miller wherever he is and have him pass to Shaden. But uh, so biggest All Star Game omission to me was Siakam. I don't see how Pascal yeah. Siakam doesn't make it. But his problem is there's a lot of forwards and centers in the East, right? There's a lot of front court players, is what I want to say. Like, if I could, I would wave a magic wand right now and take Paul George out and put Siakam in. And I'm going like, that's what should be made regardless of conference. I agree with that. Looking at the snubs, there were a lot of guys that I saw. Uh, Jimmy Butler, uh, Jalen Brunson, a lot of different guys. Siakam's one of those guys. And if I'm if I'm one of the Blazers and I've got connections to him, I'm going to tell him right now, hey, if you come to the West, you might not have to deal with that. So <laughs> come on to Portland. <laughs> do whatever you got to do to make a pitch. So, yeah, that's ex simple as that. Exactly right. Yeah. What would you think of? So, look, we already have teams, right? Like, they're not Eastern Western teams, they're captain chosen teams. Should the All Star process just be regardless of conference? Like, eliminate so. the distinctions so. and just take the players who are the best? Yeah, give me the 24 best guys in the NBA. Um, and just, just do it like that. I think it's, it's just that simple. I think there should be some different changes as far as the – I'm on board with a lot of changes. I think they should wear the old school uniforms when they have to – everybody wears their own jersey. I think they should do the just the best 24 players. I think you should try to differentiate a little bit with the front court and back court. A little bit of everything. So I think, yeah, definitely diversify that a little bit more. So I'm on board with that. Yeah, the danger, of course, being you get big city centric. So you get like three Knicks or, you know, eight people from the Lakers and Clippers. But as long as you still name the reserves by coach, right? You know, you, you don't allow popular vote to determine everything. It probably shouldn't be too much different. I mean, give or take uh, Kyrie Irving, because, I mean, 
I can't believe he got so many votes. I get it. He's talented. <laughs> I, but like that name stuck out to me among the starters. But I'm not sure that the overall balloting would have looked that that much different. And by the way, you could still have the two leading vote getters be the captains, regardless of position or conference. Right. So just 24 guys. All the, the final 14 are named solely by experts. And there you go. Yeah, I, I'm on board with that. I think there's a lot of different changes. I think the fan vote kind of means a little bit too much. And being in a city like the Pacific Northwest, we've seen it year after year where we're pulling guys that play well, got snubbed because of that. Um, so I think it's great. I think the NBA this year, you look at kind of a power shift where people think that the Eastern Conference is the superior conference with, you know, the, the Southeast and the Bucks and whatnot. Uh, but as long as you get it close, I don't think there'd be too many complaints, um, especially since there are so many different topics that are, you know, much more important when it comes to that. I think the biggest thing is just getting the guys that deserve it in there, getting the right guys in there. And, and if you do that, complaints would be at a minimum there too. So, Well, I mean, they know the fan vote is garbage, right? Because they offer this, they offer this like, <laughs> it's three times vote day. Every time you click, it counts for three votes. So it's like, what the hell? I mean, if it's, if it's at all serious, you can't monkey with the process. Why don't you just have like on their day, there's a lottery wheel that spins. And if you hit it, you get 10,000 <laughs> votes with your click. I mean, they're, they're only a step away. It would create interest. Why not? Uh, it, it's just, and then they try to, mitigate it with the votes of peers which is interesting because chet holmgren got a bunch of votes right and then uh (laughs) media people which i don't okay nowadays do i trust media people i do not so like that whole process is just weird and adding the more categories in it just confused it without helping it i don't know maybe should all get together and just everybody raise their hand who wants LeBron James. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's like we knew that was going to happen anyway. What are we doing with this? Hey, you might as well try something different. I guess my question to you would be, um, where do you think Jeremy Grant fit as far as like the snubs and go, uh, snubs go and whatnot? I thought he was a, a, had a great season so far, but kind of just outside the list. What do you think about that? I think he belongs just outside the list, frankly. I mean, first of all, 500 team, you probably won't have two representatives unless it's glaring that these guys are fantastic. Uh, Jeremy had a really hot start. He's come back to earth a little bit. Still not, you know, he's great. He is. But is he an all-star? And and he just got outdamed. Look, when that light started (laughs) shining, everybody else was in the shadow and everybody else to be fair i think has accepted that there i don't think jeremy grant is going dang that damian lillard scoring 50 and 60 points a game i wish i was in <laughs> he's going like yep no i'm i get it and this is our guy and uh you know even to be mentioned hey fantastic you know and everybody knows look here's the thing too if he were named to the all-star game then we'd be fighting about him versus Siakam and going, Jeremy Grant doesn't yeah. belong in there. But he's got that upward, didn't make it, a little bit of a snub, great guy, momentum that's going to carry him through into next year. So I think he's just where he is. Do you agree? As well said. I think I would agree with that. All right. So Damon, the three-point contest, we got that. That should be fun. Uh, it, it would be even more fun if Steph steps up now. Like, oh, you're going to go? Okay. Because it's like you took the court, right? And you're going like, I finally get to win. And then Big Brother comes around the corner. Oh, you playing? Oh, damn it. (laughs) But uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. And they should like just start having shots from half court and three quarters court and all that stuff. So, 
Yeah, it's they should they should pep that up as well. Because actually, I don't know about you, but like I used to love the three point contest. Still, kind of do a little bit, but it does get a little draggy to me. Do you feel that way as well? Uh, not as much. Um, I, it's still my favorite event. You know, if it were up to me, that would be the main event over the over the dunk contest. With how many missed dunks there are, probably in the minority on that. But I, I, I have fun when I watch it. I think they've done a little bit too much with the, the Mountain Dew uh, money balls, and it's hard to keep track of the points and whatnot now. But um, not not too many complaints on my end as far as that goes. It's usually just usually fun that the great shooters are hot. So pretty cool. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Well, you know, they could also like set up a version of the skills contest or like, you know, the, the kind of police or FBI, like shooting range things where things pop out like, okay. Yeah. So once you do your regular racks, we're going to add on another 30 seconds. There's a spot where things are going to pop up and you got to shoot over them. <laughs> you got to hit it over a ladder. You got to go half court. You, at the very end, if you still have time left, you get a three quarter court heave. Like they should, I'm, I'm, I love it. They just, I don't know. Do you remember back in like the early two thousands when they would do the uh the two ball challenge with like NBA and WBA players and they shoot from like number of spots? They yeah. should bring that back. I think they should bring that back hundred percent. Oh, that that would be that would be interesting. And that okay, so you got the three point shot and you got the layup, right? But when you have the mid range yeah. shot, you also have a guy in like coke bottle glasses and a sweater screaming, "No, don't take that!" <laughs> so yeah. Okay, we they should put us in charge of the All Star Game or sure. weekend. Clearly, <laughs> dunk contest. Uh, we already talked about Shaden a little bit, but I haven't seen anybody who's going to step up to him. It feels like the ramp is open to him so far to to take this. Yeah, I mean, I've got to do my homework on uh, is it McClung and and uh, Kenyon Martin Jr. Or whatnot. I've got to study those guys and see what they got. But I think if I'm Shaden Sharp, I'll tell you what I do if I was Shaden Sharp. Weber State is in Ogden, Utah. The All-Star Game is in Salt Lake City, Utah. So if I'm Shaden Sharp, I'm coming out in a Damian Lillard Weber State jersey, getting the team chemistry up with a nice duck like that, putting on the show. I think there's a great opportunity for him to just really showcase that vertical and, and put on the show. And if I'm him, that's the way I would kind of approach it, just trying to, you know, appeal to the historics and whatnot of it. So something like that. Yeah, or have somebody get a ladder and put some electrician's tape where – my head's going to end up on the backboard. Or you could do the old, I think it was Marvin Barnes, uh, ABA. Maybe. I forget if it was him or not. But Oh, bad news, Barnes. <laughs> yeah, where you put a quarter on top of the backboard. And you go grab the quarter and uh, dunk with your offhand. That would be, uh, that would be, he, literally, he's got to showcase height, right? Because he's probably, yeah. the dexterity and stuff like that, he might have. But he's, this is not going to be about, you know, pumping up your sneakers or doing a a dance or whatever. Shaden's literally going to be about, he just went 800 feet in the air and he hasn't come down yet, right? 48-inch vertical. You got to use it right. I tell you what, he better be careful which blazer he picks to throw that alley-oop because they've had trouble with that this week. Um, So just really, really excited about that. Really excited to see him kind of become more of a household name and, and introduce himself to some of the more, you know, casual fans. So it'll be fun. Hopefully he wins it. Bring brings home the Blazers another uh, dunk contest crown and, and rolls that momentum onto the second half of the year. I'm telling you right now, Shaden, seriously, have Dame come out in like cargo shorts and a t-shirt dressed like your dad, right? <laughs> and get ready. And then you put your hand up and say, dad, no, no. And then bring out Andre Miller, you know, gray hair and all, oh, like man. coming out like, here's grandpa and he's going to show you how to do it. 
Our, oh, man, that's the best lobster I've ever probably seen. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. He was a trailblazer. He was, you could, you yeah. could do this. You can get this. Call up Andre right now. All right. So, speaking of Jeremy Grant, uh, a little bit of unsurprising news. He is not, or has not as yet, signed a contract extension. The Blazers offered it. He's not going to ink it and is probably going to wait till the summer. What do you make of that? I think the biggest thing is just the bird rights for the Blazers. You know, they're going to have a chance to, uh, to acquire him for more money now, just based on the fact that they have his contract rights. So I think it's a smart move for him. Uh, I think the Blazers, they'll benefit from it too. So just all around, uh, take the basketball out and just think more about, you know, money and business and whatnot. Smart move for him. And hopefully it's just a long-term thing because he said that he wants to stay, hasn't thought about leaving. And I'm just interested to see how it's going to turn out. Yeah, he, he can make more money in the summer, right? Yeah. So if the Blazers hadn't offered it, that would have been kind of wiggle room or news, some area of tension. They had to make the offer, right? And if he signs it and they intend to sign him, then bonus. But they knew he wasn't going to sign it. But they're not going to go, ah, oh, let's wait till summer. So everybody sees Portland's made the overture. Jeremy very politely says, oh, yeah, thank you. That's really sweet. Uh, I have something to do. I have to pluck my eyebrows between now and June. Uh, in July, let's talk again and come with a bigger bouquet, right? And that's exactly what's going to happen. And barring injury or disaster, the Blazers will come with a near-max offer, and then Jeremy will sign that, likely. That's my read, anyway. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be the end of the world. I think it's a, a, a great thing to think about in the offseason, having a, a potential all-star kind of guy like that extended and brought kept forth for a long time. One thing that I think about it is kind of a, a side relief to not talk about that you know, as much anymore, now that they can kind of focus on the postseason. Um, and, and they got that out of the way. So now we got to worry about uh, Josh Hart and those guys now. So kind of transitioning to that. Yeah, we got one week. Now, let's let's start, though, if we're talking about trade deadline with the hot name that came up, and it had come up a couple months ago as well. Jared Vanderbilt, Utah Jazz. Rumors are that the Blazers are among suitors, and usually when stuff like that is said, it's warm. Uh, very seldom does Shams come out with... Uh, something that's either speculation or completely cold by the time he mentions it there's some heat under that doesn't mean it's going to happen but it's not trivial how do you feel about that and what do you feel would be fair compensation for vanderbilt i think the first thing is that i'm not against the idea of bringing along jared vanderbilt so long as the blazers front office doesn't think that that's the only move that, that deserves to be made i think they got to go and do a second move but you're talking about a guy that's in his early 20s uh, when they play the Blazers this year, he's he showcased that versatility. He's guarded Dame Lillard for stretches, and he's he's performed well. Uh, I think there's a little bit of hesitance with the three point shot, so kind of a redundant thing that the Blazers have kind of had to deal with. Um, as far as fair compensation, I hadn't really thought about that too much, but I think you definitely you definitely have to put heart in that. Um, definitely guys like that, and I, I you know you got to match salaries up and whatnot. I think you'll see hard in a situation like that, but you can get younger, uh, more defensively oriented. And uh, more versatile, I think you take a chance on it. You know, it'd be tough to kind of move on from heart, but I think you got to see both sides of it and, and, and uh, think about what you can get. So here's the thing with Vanderbilt. He's bigger. He's 6'8", six, 6'9", six, right? Hart's like 6'5". He's bigger than Hart. He's less versatile than Hart. He's a better defender than Hart. 
but he doesn't have any kind of three-point shot, and I know Josh Hart doesn't this year either, but historically he has. Uh, he is an efficient scorer, and he's 23, as opposed to being a veteran. So you get, this is an EQ thing. This is your, you know, your equalizer on your boom box. Some of those things are up and some of those things are down. This is not floored MTV video, you know, thrashing. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's here and there. One concern I have, what position does this guy play? Is he a power forward? Is he a swing forward? What What's your read on that? Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week. Um, I recall, I think he plays, he plays about a quarter of his, his minutes at center, which you obviously you don't want at 6'8", but he's shown that he can do it. You know, he's versatile in that regard. I think you definitely want to kind of see him play the, the forward a little bit, kind of like how Jeremy Grant did at the beginning of the year where he's kind of guarding the perimeter players. And this just gives you more opportunities to kind of uh, play around with that. And just tinker guys around different lineups and switch switch on defense. So uh, I, I think it'd be a fun move, especially if you don't have to give up too much. And like I said, as long as the one caveat is that this can't be the only move you make. If this is it, then I think it's going to be some disappointment. But he's a he's a nice young player, so and I vouch for that. Yeah. So he's in his fifth season. Last wow. year w- was his first one playing more than 70 games he played 74 last year 64 the year before and then at the beginning of his career he was only appearing 17 and 11 times in two years so he played 28 games in his first two years which barely counts that's not even a you know that's like a third of a season so he has no mileage there so he's he should be fairly young fairly fresh he should be figuring out what it takes to play in this league all those are good things uh, do you feel that there's any chance of him starting here? Um, I guess it absolutely have to depend on who the Blazers gave up in that deal. I think if they did give up Hart, you know, you could kind of go back and forth with he and, and Nasir Little. I think in that situation, I think you probably go with Vanderbilt starting just because Nasir Little is a, a little bit more nuanced as an offensive player, so you want to keep that on the second unit. But you can definitely kind of, you know, talk me into both sides of that. I think that the Blazers, with the issue they have with offensive rebounding, I think you 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 probably want a guy like Vanderbilt in there. Uh, he's one of the, the league's best offensive rebounders at that. So, lots of different areas you can go with that. I, I, I think you, you, there's a case you can say he starts, but you know, I'm saying it's not set in stone though. Yep. So if it's Hart, uh, we need to make the contracts match. Rudy Gay works. Uh, there are probably other possibilities, but that's the easiest one. Uh, which is not terrible for the Blazers because they could either just cut Gay or whatever. He has one more year after this. Uh, if the Blazers could get him for a price below Hart, in other words, they're less expensive, do you think that that's an automatic yes? Uh, it depends on what you mean by, like, you're talking about, like, Drew Eubanks or something like that? or, or like, well, it, it, Someone below Hart, Hart on the roster, probably not Eubanks, but, like, uh, one of their young players who's not Shaden Sharp. Also, like Nazir Little, something like that, or or anyone below Hart. What what point does Vanderbilt become a bargain, or a yes? Oh, uh, looking at thinking about, I'm just off the top of my head. If you were to offer me McDaniel's for a little, I'd probably go little. Uh, I just I'm I'm very impressed with how he's elevated his game every year. Um, I don't know. I I, I think if the lowest I probably go is maybe Eubanks, but that's that's just me. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I'm not sure I'd trade. Well, I mean, 
yeah, I guess you could trade Eubanks for him, but that's like you're keeping Nurkic then, right? Because you have no centers. Uh, yeah, I think if the Blazers can get him for one of their younger players or expiring players, I mean, Justice Winslow, if you don't plan to resign him, he has no value to you, so okay. Uh, there, there are other young players that he could go for, maybe throw in some second rounders or something. Uh, at that point, I think Vanderbilt would be an interesting get. Uh, I like your asterisk, though, that we learned this in the Olshay era, right? That just because a move might be smart in the moment doesn't mean it's the long-term solution or the only solution. And it's okay to say, I did smart there, and I did smart there, and I did smart there, which is like saying, I got three answers pretty cleverly right on the math test. But yeah, did you graduate? No. <laughs> okay, well, what was the point then? Right. So. I think we're I think we're in accordance there, but I think, gosh, Vanderbilt would be a really interesting defensive get, and that's exciting. He just doesn't solve your Josh Hart problems. All right. Uh, speaking of Drew Eubanks, though, dunk contest. He did the Statue of Liberty. You know uh, that was against Memphis, I believe. He's come in with energy, helped them win against Atlanta and Memphis. We need to take a moment to remember. Our hometown center. Have you been impressed by his play this week as Nurkic has faded and he's stepped up? I think I'm generally always impressed when it comes to Juju Banks, just based on the fact that he doesn't make losing plays. I think everything he kind of does is is it, it's a positive, net, a net positive. Um, and he, he takes high percentage shots, sets screens, plays hard. You know, you can kind of see him when he's met his match. You know, in in the in the interior, but. <laughs> What we're expecting from him is, is basically what he does from it from a, a backup center. You know, I think if you were to start him every night, you you sort of see some of those deficiencies kind of play out a lot more. But just from what we kind of expect, I think he or him, I think uh, him, Trinity Wofford, a lot of those guys, they play well in that game. So I'm, I'm I say I'm impressed for sure. Yeah, I mean, is it fair to say about Drew Eubanks that he's really good until he's not? Like <laughs> when he in his sphere or against the right matchup, he's going to be fantastic for you. Totally bankable. The only thing I would say he doesn't do quite as well as Nurk is set screens. Uh, I mean, he's good at it. But Nurk, when he's on, is a really good screen setter. Uh, Drew doesn't ha quite have that upward potential. But he's bankable with every shot he takes, never takes, makes a dumb play, always tries hard on defense, has a little bit of mobility. He's fantastic until he's overmatched. And then he's like, it's just like that war card game. Like, you're playing a six, but they got a king. Uh, you're never going to win that, and it's never going to be tied. It just cannot be done. So there's a ceiling that's hard, but his ceiling is higher than one would think based on his history and name value, right? Yeah, he's going to give you a valiant effort every single time. And just looking at his numbers, he's he's. I think he's made some improvements as far as like when you're on film and looking at the box score with the block numbers. You know, he's had a block in all every single one of his last like, eleven games. So you, you you sort of see that part of it. Um, and, and just the numbers, he doesn't go out there and, and when he's out there, the Blazers don't get outscored and, and destroyed like that. So it's a, it's a net positive. Like I said, I think just putting everything in perspective. If you were to line up all thirty of the backup centers in the NBA, I think he'd be somewhere at the top tier of that. At least the top. 50 center. I think all things considered, you live with what he brings to, to the table. You know, he's not going to make losing plays for you. So. Yes, but you're going to run into that ceiling a lot more often and dramatically if you have to start him. Is that fair to say? Like other, as soon as yeah. other teams can game plan for him and, 
you know, set the matchups, then all of a sudden Eubanks is not going to be in his comfort zone nearly as much. Absolutely. I think we saw that in that Toronto game. Uh, Precious Achua, you know, he 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 joined a long list of, of role player players of killers. You know, you got Anthony Morrow, you got Yogi Ferrell, <laughs> guys <laughs> like that. Now Precious Achua is, is a part of the list. And the Blazers, they've gotten out-rebounded, I think, 44 to 15 over the last three games. I don't know what's more surprising, that you gave up 44 offensive rebounds or that you – it's basically 15 a game. So it's just tough. And I think that, you know, you got to make another move there at that position to feel more solidified. But in terms of Eubanks, you know, it's, it's not anything negative, you know, associated with him. I think he, he, he tries his best every every possession. So Right. And by the way, let's uh, correct a misperception out there that people sometimes are. People go, well, see, this is what happens when you get rid of Nurkic. Well, yes, of yeah. course, it is what happens when you when you have literally no starting center. Uh, and the Blazers getting rid of Nurkic for literally nothing would be a very bad move. You're correct about that. There's presumed to be, if they trade Nurkic, they either have to get someone coming back at center now, which I think is the less likely option, or they have to eat the rest of this season with their deficiencies and then fix that over the summer, which is the more likely option. But I don't think anybody would ever say, based on this lineup, that they should get rid of Nurk, right? Because then that's, that's zero players approaching seven feet. I'm not sure why that was ever a, a surprise. You know, it shouldn't be breaking news. The Blazers have three players over 6'11", and two of them don't play. You, know, you got Badgie and you got John Butler. They don't play. They're rookies. So after that, <laughs> it's just Nurkic and a bunch of guys under 6'10". So that shouldn't be a surprise that the Blazers struggle in that area. I think that people are kind of trying to trying to prove themselves right. And I love Nurkic. I love what he brings to the table. Uh, the, 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 the negatives are there. You can see those as well, just as much you see the positives. But, you know, if they were just releasing him for nothing, I think, yeah, that, that'd be a problem. But if you're getting something back, then by all means, you got to go do it. Right. And they don't have to get something back at center right now. And that's the point. They're still going to look, you're still going to be able to say that if they trade Nurkic as part of a package for, say, a small forward, that's really good. And you're going like, but they're getting killed on the boards because they don't have Nurk. That is correct. At some point, you'll have to fix that deficiency. It's just you figure it doesn't have to be today necessarily because they're not going to win a title anyway. Now, that Toronto game was painful. Oh my gosh. Because you think that, okay, so the Blazers run pretty small and Toronto does too, right? So you think, okay, maybe this will be a stylistic uh, you know, affinity for the Blazers. Uh-uh. No, nope, nope. The, the Raptors just like, all right, we're going to go in the lane. We're going to keep going in the lane. And you know what? We've got a coach who came from yeah, the, the realm where he's okay with boring. He doesn't have to be fancy. He's just going to keep pressing that button till it works. And you know what? We're all in agreement. So guess what? We're scoring from eight feet in all game. And the Blazers could do nothing to stop them. It was, it was painful. I tell you what, I, I came into that game kind of expecting it to be bad, just based on the fact of how the, the last game with the Raptors and the Blazers went. Now, they could run a simple pick and roll, and they'd have Simons on Siakam within four seconds of the shot clock. And at that point, you got to send a double team, so now somebody's open. And, you know, we, we saw it. Look at the numbers. The Blazers had their two worst defensive games in terms of defensive rating this week. The Raptors was the Raptors were the worst one than the Atlanta Hawks. So it, it, it was just there. And you saw it from the opening quarter. Got off score. It was at 37 and, like, 14 or something like that. And Preston Zachua hasn't had a 20-point game all year. I know he was licking his chops for this one. So it's just it's 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 tough to see. It's always tough to see when you when you get a situation like that. But I knew it was coming though. So and what was really tough was the interior passing. 
like it's one thing if you send that double team, they kick it out for a three pointer and they hit it. Every NBA team's going to do that. Team's done it to the Blazers all year. But when you send a double team and the other guy goes down the baseline and there's a six foot pass for a layup or a dunk and that pass happens right across the paint, you're going like, oh, this is not sustainable. This is like literally playground YMCA level easy offense. <laughs> and it's like, that's what the Raptors did. They they might as well have been at the local gym. Uh, discouraging, not necessarily surprising. Uh, Dame Lillard scores 30, which is, you know, that shame on you, Dame. Why, why are you slacking off? <laughs> <laughs> but he scores 30 and the Blazers just get housed. Then you get the Hawks and the Grizzlies where Lillard scores 42 apiece and all is right with the world again. What do you take from the Atlanta game and especially the Memphis game, which was kind of the inverse of the of the Toronto game in terms of uh, momentum and spirit? After that Memphis game, everybody's going, yeah, NBA championship on the way. <laughs> How do you feel about Atlanta and Memphis? Um, I, the Atlanta game was was really weird to me. Uh, just looking at the way the, the, the scores kind of went about. The Hawks took a 20, 23 to 22 lead in the first quarter and then never led again, despite, you know, tying the game up and hanging within distance in that game. So they were really close. But I think the biggest takeaway was the fact that Damian Lillard, when he's aggressive in that first quarter, when he's calling the shots, they're an entirely different team. And I kind of looked at the numbers on this. He ranks 26th in first quarter points this year at 6.2. But when he scores seven or more, the Blazers are 12 and six. So they're basically almost a 70, 70% win team compared to 13 and 20 when he doesn't. So, you know, we saw that. And then in the, in the Memphis game, he scored 40. He didn't score a single field goal in the first quarter. So he kind of showed, he kind of showed both sides of that. But it was just kind of surprising to see how the Blazers were able to win both of those games despite, you know, the struggles and the injuries and whatnot. So very resilient week for them, I'd say, you know, overall. Yeah. When Dame scores early, the Blazers don't get behind. And that's been one of their problems, right? So basically, we know that Dame is the cowbell. Right. The answer to everything is more cowbell at this point. And uh, <laughs> they just keep beating that until they're done. I think I tell it stops working. I guess this is what you go with, because I, I just at the beginning of the season, do you remember the first few weeks where these guys were new to each other, but they were hitting each other with passes? There was synergy. It looked like there was something really special going on there. And it was like. The day you show up to camp with the whole staff and everybody just gets in the kitchen and starts cooking together and bonding and stuff. But then somehow you get down to business or the weeks go by and you're back to cafeteria mode. Like there's one guy in the kitchen cooking, serving everybody out up. The Blazers are in cafeteria mode right now. And Dame is the chef. And everything's coming through and out of his hands and everybody else is eating at his table. That's all right. I mean, it's it's okay. It's working. Do you think, first of all, do you think he can keep this up through the season? Do you think we're going to see 40-point games on the regular from him? And do you think the Blazers can continue winning in this style? To answer that first part, I don't think he has a choice. You know, he, he scored 42, and they won by four. Uh, in, in the second game, he scored, was it 40 against Memphis? And they, they were in a competitive game there, too, so. I don't think he's going to have much of a choice. And if, if there's one thing that we've seen with the Blazers is that they kind of start off game slow. Uh, they got outscored 68-33 combined in the Raptors and Hawks game. So I think it's going to be an onus on him to kind of go out there and, and really, you know, get the show running right away. So I don't know if he's going to have much of a choice in that. And I think they can tr try to do more pick and rolls and get guys going. But 
at the end of the day, it kind of begins and ends with him. And as far as the can they continue to win games like this, I don't know. There were just so many different variables that, that went into that that game that it's kind of hard to imagine them winning a lot of games like this. I think you can kind of get by against the below average teams, but you know, you're not gonna beat Memphis like that every night. So I would say you gotta try to find a way to, to kind of change the dictate the terms a little bit more than they have. So I'd say no on that second one though. So for the record, I mean the Blazers are four and one in their last five, which is fantastic. And Lillard's been on a tear. But Lillard has been on that tear for a lot longer than that. And overall, since the last time he failed to score 30, the Blazers are six and seven. So he's had 13 games in a row. Well, I, I take that back. Philadelphia scored 25, but let's throw that in. Let's, let's allow his, his 25 being in there. 12 out of those 13 games, he scored 30 plus. He scored 25 in the other one. The Blazers are 6-7 and seven in those 13 games. If you take out his 25-point game and don't count it in that tally, they're still 6-6 six and six, with him scoring 30-plus. That's winning for the last five games. It's 500 overall. I don't know. I, I don't, I, I, I'm just feeling like I should love Dame right now and not pay attention to much else. Yeah, if you're a guy that likes watching highlights, I think you definitely love it. But it's just hard. To, it's hard to say. Like even after the Hawks game, you listen to what Chauncey Billups said. Said we won the game, but this is how you lose a game. So it's just I, I I can't see them being anything above mediocre if Dame Lillard's doing that and they're not getting as much production out of the other guys. I think one thing you can say is that the bench has played a lot better over the last couple of weeks. But I don't know. I don't. I, I think that you want to see more balance and you want to see more defense. Uh, more defense. And the Blazers have kind of gotten away from that. Like I said, they had their two worst games defensively this week, so I don't think you can kind of get by. We've seen that year after year where they've kind of done that. They outscored the other teams, so kind of want to see it change up a little bit there. I still want to see Justice Winslow back, too. I mean, yeah. that'll give them so, a fourth bench player along with Eubanks, Gary Payton, and Nasir Little. So that will help. Like, okay, sorry for all the analogies, folks, but I, I'm right-brained about this. <laughs> it feels like right now, Sometimes, like, someone that you love will get sick. And let's not go too far with it. Let's just say they're sick, right? And you're, like, out on the dance floor with them, and they're not feeling well. And you're sad about that. But there's a sparkle in their eyes. And when you're on that dance floor, you just look at their eyes, and there's that moment, you know? And everything's okay. I feel like this is the relationship with the Blazers right now. It's kind of, you know, there's something, we're not 100% here. There's there's something wrong, and maybe something systemically wrong, and we don't know exactly the future of this. But when Damian Lillard scores 40, you're just looking at the sparkling eyes, and you're back to when you first met, and, you know, everything, the birds are singing, and hearts are coming out of everybody's ears. And that's where I feel like we are with the Blazers. Now, I, I think... Again, we pointed to this eight-game stretch here, and it's they're winning lately. But again, overall, this eight-game stretch hasn't changed the story for me, has it for you? Not, not really. Um, Lucas kind of said that too. You, you kind of want to continue to learn these lessons and wins rather than losses. But you know, I, 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 I don't really have. I didn't really gain as much faith as I thought I would have, even despite the wins they got this week. Um, and I guess the one positive is that their their schedule upcoming isn't you know, as brutal, especially the next two games. So maybe we will learn a little bit more there. But 
if you if you were to show me the last two games from the Blazers compared to the rest of the year, it wouldn't have been a big difference, you know, other than the fact that they were able to win the game. So not too much of a not too much of a difference for me. Those last couple of minutes versus Memphis. I mean, the encouraging thing about that is they bore down on defense and they scored yeah. really efficiently. It all worked together. Keep in mind, though, I mean, Memphis is crawling out from their own rock. I mean, they can't help but trip over their own feet right now. This will be yet another example of how they did it. But, yeah, so look at these four wins. The San Antonio win was just a blowout against an undermanned team. That was, if had they lost that, it would have been, like, terrible. The yeah. Utah win was good. I mean, there, I mean, it was fantastic, in fact. But it was fantastic because that was Dame Lillard scoring sixty. That was that wasn't the Blazers winning. That was Dame winning. So, you got that horrible loss to Toronto. The Atlanta game was weird and ended up could have been a coin flip. I mean, that game I wasn't confident they were going to win that game down into the final seconds. And then Memphis, you had two really stirring minutes and forty six where you kept you kept up. You didn't give up, right? Gave yourself a chance to win, and that <laughs> chance came through. I'm still not describing a single win that's sustainable or indicative, even the Utah one, because because Dame can't score 60. So, yeah, I mean, we need to see more. I think I 100% agree with that. There have been a lot of oddball games. Not really wins that you would, like, from start to finish on both ends of the floor where you're like, wow, this team really put it together. Um, even in that Utah game, like, the Utah game and the Memphis game are kind of similar to me in a sense that they both started off where it was like, oh, this might be a disaster. You know, Utah got out to a 30 to 19 lead. Memphis got out to an 18 to 5 lead. So there, there were some some hiccups there too. Um, and you just wait for the Blazers to kind of play a full game. One of those games they played in November where they from from start to finish were locked in and, and were limiting mistakes. I think the one big thing is they've kind of cut the turnovers down a little bit. Um, so there's a, a big benefit there. But you know, to your point, you know, they, they just haven't had that convincing win where you, you sit down and you you really feel assured. Because even in, in, in that house game, I, I thought they were House were a little bit too close for comfort the entire game. One or two shots and they changed it. So, you know, you just want to see them put it together for 48 minutes and, and call it a win. And Atlanta without Trey Young, too. I mean, who knows how much of a difference that would have made? Because let's face it, Atlanta scored 125 as it was. How many more could they score? But never mind. I don't want to know that universe. <laughs> Forget <laughs> I asked that question. Uh, but yeah. Okay. So this week, and this will be interesting because we have four games. They play at Washington tonight as we record. And then at Chicago tomorrow, back to back. Do you expect those to both be wins? I'm going to go. Uh, the Blazers, I don't know. I feel like they're going to have one of those games where, you know, we say we should have won, but we lost. I think over the next four games, they're going to go two and two. The one thing that they've got kind of going for them is that they're six and two on back to backs, which is a surprise. but. You know, it kind of makes sense given this team plays better when they don't think too much. So I'll go uh, win tonight. I think Josh Hart kind of, you know, he had 44 last time they played them, so hopefully he's, he's got him on middle. Um, they they lose to the Bulls, and then they they split one of those games with Milwaukee and Golden State and get the two and two. I think a two and two week is about what you kind of expect. So that would leave them at 27 and 28, still below 500. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not... It's just not there, right? I mean, if they go three and one, it's twenty-eight and twenty-seven, one game above five hundred. If they win all four, let's just say they go on a streak. They're twenty-nine and twenty-six, three games above five hundred, with momentum, looking great, six-game winning streak. Uh, but 
lots of teams have six game winning streaks. I just, this is, I don't know. I'm having a really hard time envisioning a future in which this works for the rest of the season, unless they just rip off an absolutely incredible string. And I realize that they're not that far out of the higher seeds in the conference. I get it. Six-game win streak could vault them into third or fourth. But what does that really mean, given what we've just talked about? Are you at all convinced that the Blazers could line up against a good team in the playoffs and not get exploited for matchups and style of play? In other words, there's no fluke games left. There's no Trey Young's out or Atlanta's doing this or Dame's going to score 60 a night. Can they win when these coin flip games or or huge Dame nights don't happen? I think you kind of have to grab a notebook and, and, and write out, you know, which teams you match up well with, which ones you don't. I think we, we it, it definitely depend on the absolute matchup. I think if you were going into a situation where, let's say Portland is the sixth seed and, and Sacramento, as they are right now, they're the three seeds. I don't think we go into that series and be, you know, too nervous. I think, you know, with all due respect to Sacramento, you know, Portland, they kind of match up. They Two teams that are very similar. So they 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 match up well. I think if you were playing against Denver, you'd be a little bit fearful of that. Uh, but it just depends on who it is, I think, at this point. And I think the one thing the Blazers have going for them is that they've got, you know, a lot of continuity with this group. Hasn't gone well, but that, that Nurkic, Grant, Hart, Simons, Lillard uh, lineup has played the second most minutes of any five-man lineup in the league, so. Uh, having that continuity chemistry and, and, and being able to play those matchups is very important. So it just it totally depends on who they played against, I think, for me, me personally. Can the Blazers win a playoff series? I, I'd say, yeah. I, I think you always have a chance when you when you have the, the best player on the floor marching out there. They say that in game seven, but I think it applies to series two. Uh, with Damian Lillard, a guy that hasn't made it out in the first round since 2019, I think he's going to be very motivated to do that. Um, and they've got the they got the character guys to do it, but it just like I said, you gotta hope that the bracket uh, shakes out in a in a beneficial way for you, kind of like it did in 2019. And and you gotta just uh, be able to make those big plays when it, when it counts. So if they can, if they can just get that going, I think they're good. Yeah, I think I agree. The ceiling is 2019. Someone was making comments the other day or one of the other podcasts. How can you say they can win a playoff series? They can always win one, as you say. They got Lillard on the floor, right? I mean that it's possible. Can they win two? Well, now, like, can you flip a coin twice and it turns up heads, right? Well, okay. The more coins you have to flip, the lesser your chance getting of getting the result consistently. I don't see any. I don't think they make it to the conference finals. But even if they got the exact right matchups and they did, yeah. there are not three teams in the Western Conference that the Blazers are going to beat that where the last of them makes it to the conference finals level. I mean, can I pick out three teams out of the 12 possibilities here? Sure. But which one of those three is going to be at the at the conference finals level? By the time they get to the third round, even in the best of worlds, at this point, they're going to come up against a team that is going to handle them. And it'll probably happen sooner. Now, which begs the question, and this will be how we end here, we are one week from the trade deadline. When you and I talk next, it will be done. Do you see the Blazers making a big enough move to make a difference this season? In other words, do you see the Blazers making a move in the next week that change the, changes the narrative that we just described? 
Honestly, I don't. Honestly, I don't. Um, just based on what I've kind of read and what I've heard, the Blazers have kind of committed themselves to too many guys being, you know, what you would call untouchable. Um, and there's just so many, like, the situation with the pick and the pick swap of Chicago, I think that's, that's a big hurdle to kind of leap over at this point in time, too. So everything's kind of, kind of, kind of got to match up just right for them. I think we'll see one move, one move that, you know, can shake the standings a little bit, but not too much, you know, a minor move. But as far as a major move, I would kind of, just being realistic, I'm kind of, I don't think it's going to happen. I'll say that. Okay. So, pretty sure I agree. Here's the deal. You look for another Drew Eubanks kind of guy, but plus. I'm not talking about Drew. Drew is a signing pickup, okay? But you know the effect you've had with Drew? Like, the guy who comes and the Blazers are able to make way more use of him. He looks way better at Portland uh, than he did elsewhere. Jeremy Grant could also be an example. They're not going to get a guy of Grant's level. They'll be above the Drew Eubanks level when he was signed. Look for a move like that. Okay, I mean, Vanderbilt might qualify for that. There might be a couple others out there. I don't think they're going to get a, make a move that makes you say they've, they've done it. In fact, I think they might make a move that makes you think they went backwards right now, because they might. I, I, I wrote about this. If Josh Hart goes out, you're not going to get that level of talent back in right now. But... You get the guy who you go for the second half of the season. Hey, this guy is way better than we expected. He looks like he fits. And then you're rolling into next season with a more complete lineup than you would have had, had, for instance, Josh Hart opted out and you're going, this is too rich for my blood. I can't resign him. Or, well, another year of use of Nurkic. Let's see how this goes, right? Also, you focus in your summer moves so that you've got a solvable set of problems rather than going, okay, we've got Swiss Army knives all over the place around Damian Lillard plus Anthony Simons, who is like Damian Lillard. So how do we sort this nebulous whatever into a definable unit? Well, we did part of it at the trade deadline with this move. We got rid of one of our Swiss Army knife players. We got this guy who's coming up. We figured that position's going to be pretty good. So now we solve the issues at this other position, add a little more depth, and we think we're good to go. I like that. I haven't really heard too many perspectives in terms of looking particularly at next season. That's neat. Um, I guess the one thing you could say that we've learned is that Joe Cronin, he isn't afraid to make moves. You know, he's, he's not fearful of that in any sense. So, you know, you kind of hold out hope with that. But you know, the way you put it, if you, if you put yourself in an advantageous position next season, and beyond, I think that, you know, you got to consider that, too. So no arguments on my end with that. Sure. Well, and you don't compare it to, like, what you hope the Blazers would be or even what they are right now. you got to ask yourself, if the Blazers go into the summer with Yusuf Nurkic, Josh Hart, and this lineup, and Justice Winslow, who has an expiring contract, right? What do they have to do? I mean, what do you, are you content with that rolling into next season? Probably not. So what would you have to do? I don't know. A lot of stuff. You can't get mad at them if they do some of that stuff right now if the opportunity is available. Conversely, I'd say you can't get mad at them if that opportunity isn't available and they don't do anything. They know they're not complete, but they have no moves, I think, unless a real sweetheart deal comes up. They have no moves that revolutionizes this season either way, whether they make a trade or don't. 
So the question will be, can they make a smart move for the future that really builds up this team and become step A, understanding B, C, and D are going to happen later? Anything we're missing? Um, I don't know. I, I found one cool stat. Shaden Sharp actually leads the Blazers in plus minus over the last two weeks. So <laughs> that's kind of random, but I don't know. I was just going, I like to come up with little stats every time I come on the podcast and, and just spit them out a little bit. And I think it's been great for him, you know, the last two weeks. So it's pretty cool off the top of my head. <laughs> he's been pretty, he's been pretty nice. He went through a lull, right? I mean, and this yeah. is rookie, right? Yeah, rookies do this. Shaden Sharp is no exception. I always keep in mind, I say to myself every time he comes on the floor, played no college ball, didn't know anything about him at the beginning of the season. And then everything he does looks fantastic. I don't care if he misses that shot. Like, look at the authority with which he shoots. Look at that cut. This dude played no college ball. It's like it's found money this year with Shaden. So I love stuff like that. All right. But you know what? Go ahead. Oh, please go ahead. I was just going to say the way he plays the game is actually like, I feel like if I were a coach, that would, that's what I would want. When he gets the ball, it's either a shot or a pass right away. So I, th- I think that's good. You know, just continue to build on that. Yeah. He is decisive and he is aggressive. And how many rookies aren't, you know, even more talented rookies, especially if they're not, look, you're number one, number two pick. You expect them to be the entire package. Everybody else, you're expecting them to be looking over their shoulder and Shaden Sharp is like, no, no, I'm not looking over my shoulder at you. You look over my shoulder. By the way, you can't get high enough. You better go up into the cheap seats if you want to see actually over my shoulder because I'm jumping at least to the 200 level. <laughs> so if you got issues with me, we'll correct them, I suppose. But for now, I'm going to do what I do. And I hope he never loses that attitude because it's like star power and potential uh, right there. And I don't care. I don't care how many shots he misses. Oh, here's the other thing. He's got that quiet swagger, right? Yeah. It's not yep, it's yep, not yep. the loud. Do you remember Jared Bayless? Did you watch Jared Bayless at all in uh when he was in Portland? Oh, you know it. I was a Lamarcus Artist fan, so he's he come in the game and if he missed ten or if he made ten, he kept shooting. He just Yeah. He yeah. lit up the scoreboard. I liked that about Jared, but he also was loud in everything he did. And I don't mean vocally <laughs> loud, but he'd miss a free throw. And you think the apocalypse had come. And he, you know, just everything he did was just very brash and out there. You knew he was in the room. That was an asset in some ways. It was a detriment in some ways. Shaden's like, if you don't know I'm in the room, that's your problem. I'm going to play, right? And it's like you watch him. It's like, oh, my gosh. He's absolutely unabashed and yet absolutely not out of place. That is rare, and yeah. I, 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 I just cannot tell you how excited I am at the potential of that growing into a star who also fits in to a franchise and a team without disrupting it. He's going to disrupt the opponent. He's not going to disrupt yeah. you. He had an airball in that Memphis game, and he was like, all right, I'll get him next time. I, I love that, too. Um, I, the one thing I remember about that possession is that he brought the ball up the court. So you're seeing some different things with him. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him be a starter in the year or two. Next year, I, I, I wouldn't re- it really wouldn't surprise me. Um, and just excited to see how it plays off for him. Yeah, I mean, I think he's almost got to. I don't know what that means for Simons, or I don't know if he starts at small forward. But 
it's not going to be long. It is not yeah. going to be long. It'll be a learning curve there, but watch. Unless, you know, he gets traded for Pascal Siakam, then I guess they have a starting forward right now. All right. For Marlo Ferguson, I'm Dave Deckard. Thanks for being with us for this extended edition. We will see you next week when we will all know what the Trailblazers did at the trade deadline. Until then, let's hope for better than two and two and see what happens with the Blazers.